The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. All right, guys, uh, we're going to get started. Um, thanks for coming. Uh, we're, we are glad you're here. So my name is Nermal. This is my wife, Anne. Um, we, we got married just about a year ago. Celebrated our one-year anniversary like two weeks ago. So congrats to us. <laughs> Um, Please here's, clap. Here's a picture of us from said wedding. Um, we look really serious, but we're just freezing. <laughs> we were really happy to get married, but it was very cold out. Yeah, cold day. Um, this is actually, um, so we, yeah, we got married about a year ago, and um, I was on a different campus, so I'm a little bit older than normal. I've been on staff for about seven years, um, and I was on the St. Thomas campus in Minnesota. I, got, I was getting moved back to the U of M, which is where I graduated from. He was coming on staff at the same time. And um, little fun fact, we were MCs here two years ago. Was anyone there two years ago? Yeah, Larry. Um, and we actually, so we were MCs together. We were both on the same campus, and we both really, really, really liked each other. Um, but neither of us knew. So we, yeah, we were on the same campus for a while, and we're both just like head over heels really for the other person other, yeah. and didn't know. So I just thought, I'm too old, he'll never like me. He thought, I don't know, what do you think? I'm too young. Yeah. Or, or she likes me, I'm just not gonna do anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, it was kind of fun because we look back at like MC two years ago and it was like a year later we got married. But we didn't even know at the conference that we liked oh. each other. So it's a crazy year. It's been a crazy year since then too. Um, but yeah, uh, we're, we're super glad you're here. Uh, so th- this talk is um, aimed at someone who uh, might come to a conference like this, a conference where the theme is greater. We're talking about how Jesus is greater than anything, and you might feel a, a little bit like you're on the outside looking in, like you don't necessarily resonate with that sentiment. Um, so that's kind of the purpose of this talk, is just sort of to explain a little bit about um, why why Jesus is greater, what's so great about Jesus. Um, so this, this talk isn't going to address every last question that you would have about God, um, we're not going to spend time proving why or explaining why we believe God exists or why we believe that Jesus was a historical person who really died and really rose from the dead. And there's a lot of really good explanations and reasons why we believe those things, and we'd love to talk to you, with you about them. But that's not what the main reason of the main point of this talk is going to be. Yeah. So um, this is not a talk to sort of like have all of these logical arguments. This is an airtight argument for why God is real, why Jesus exists. Um, we don't want to scare you, but we, we think that he is real. <laughs> we think that um, that Jesus um, is the son of God, that, that God exists, and is a relational God that wants to know you, and that God comes after people um, because he wants to reveal himself to them. So um, we believe that that's true, and we're really glad that you're here because we believe that God might be after you. Um, but we also believe that it's completely up to God to show himself to people. So again, this is not we're going to convince you that God's real. Uh, we believe that that's God's job, actually, to convince um, people that he exists and that he loves them. Um, so all we want to do, really, is hold out a picture of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did um, and why we think he's beautiful. Um, and, and we hope that that, would, um, that that would compel you, that that would, that would draw you in and that God would show himself to you and that you would become a follower of Jesus. But again, we're not trying to win you um, to a set of beliefs. We're not trying to argue um, we just want to hold out. This is who he is, and we trust that if God um, is drawing you to Himself, that He will, and and that um, it's His job, um, and and something He loves to do is to come after people. Yeah, 
Um, so oh, one thing I was gonna say, I skipped over it, but um, so we're we're both kind of troubled souls. Um, mm-hmm. We've both wrestled with a lot of doubt. Um, we both grew up in the church, but um, this has played out in a lot of different ways, even being married. But we're kind of, we're sort of the classic like troubled soul, and that we're always mulling over things. Doubt is something, not just doubt, even within Christianity, but we're always sort of like mulling over um, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're cynical people, and so um, the idea of wrestling through um, what Christians would call like apologetics—like these are reasons for why we think God exists, why Jesus was a real historical person—we've actually thought through a lot of those things on our own. And even though this talk isn't dedicated to that, if that's something that you'd want to talk about more, we'd love um, to dive in um, to those things with you because again we've wrestled through a lot of it on our own so yeah so um there are again we're assuming that if you're here at least part of why you're here is that um you aren't all the way into this whole jesus thing this whole jesus is greater idea and there's a lot of reasons why you might um feel that way so we wanted to walk through address and address some of what we felt were the most common reasons um, someone might be hesitant about the idea of Christianity. So this is why Jesus might not seem great. Uh, Christianity and Jesus might just seem irrelevant. So you might be thinking something along the lines of, Christianity has nothing to do with my day-to-day life. Why should I worry about it? Um, so that's a little bit of what you might think if you think Christianity is irrelevant. Yep. Um, another reason um, that Jesus might not seem that appealing to you is that you've seen a lot of Christians or people claiming to be Christians that are really judgmental people. Um, I feel like I myself have encountered that, people claiming, like, this is, you know, this is what I believe, um, but then it seems like they can use that to be people that um, hold judgment um, over you. Or they feel like they have sort of nailed it in the spiritual realm, and so they sort of hold over your head um, a lot of judgment. And so I think that's a, a big reason. I mean, we talk a big part of our job is talking to people um, at the U of M campus about who Jesus is, and that's a huge um, deterrent, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is a lot of Christians that people have interacted with are really judgmental people. So um, a, a reason you could shy away from Jesus is, I don't want to become a judgmental person. Um, another reason is that you might view Christianity as confining, um, that you might think of Christianity as primarily a set of rules that... Um, you, you are to follow and that those rules are arbitrary and are keeping you from fulfillment and happiness or joy in life. So that might be another perspective on Christianity that might make you want to kind of keep it at arm's length and um, not, not engage with it. Yep. Um, and then the last one would be that um, Jesus or Christianity is just one of many ways to be a good person. So um, it's great for you. It's good that you believe this. Good for you. But um, if there's many paths to God, if there's many good moral guidelines within lots of other religions and schools of thought, why would I explore Jesus? He's just one of many good reasons, or one of many ways to be a good person. So if you agree with any of these sentiments, Jesus probably doesn't seem very great to you, and you might feel out of place at a conference like this, but we want to explain why we think Jesus might be greater than you think. Yep. Um, so when you look at this list, um, we actually don't agree with any of these things. We don't think that any of these things are um, are true about Jesus or what it would mean um, to follow Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so we don't, we don't believe that any of these things are true. Um, and we believe that all of these thoughts that were there um, stem from a misunderstanding of what it means for Jesus to be a savior. So we believe that for um, 
to to for any of these things to be true in your life, for any of these things to um, be be true, it would come from a misunderstanding um, that that Jesus is a savior, not understanding what that means. Um, so we're going to unpack that in this talk, why we think that Jesus being a savior kind of blows all of these things up. Um, so we don't believe that Jesus is irrelevant, um, or that he will make you judgmental or hypocritical, um, that he gives you basically a list of right and wrong and nothing more. We don't believe that he wants to confine you um, with a list of rules. Rather, we do believe that he applies to your everyday life, um, that he will make you a compassionate person who's full of grace, that he'll give you joy that no one can take away from you, um, that he came to meet the needs of people who actually couldn't keep religious requirements. So we don't believe that he came with a list. Um, this is how you get to me. We actually believe that he came for people that couldn't do that. Um, and we believe that he turned everything we've ever thought about earning our way to God on its head. Um, but in order for those things to, to be true, in order to see Jesus as great, again, we think, we think that you have to see him as a savior. So we want to unpack um, what that means. And before um, we think that you would see Jesus as a savior for, in, in both of our lives as we've wrestled through who God is, um, there were two things um, that had to kind of click for us to understand that Jesus is a savior. And we, those two things would be that um, the world is a really broken place um, and we are really broken people. So the, both the world and people really need saving. You have to, we had to get to that place before Jesus felt like a savior. So if you live in a pretty good world, if you live in a pretty good world um, where people are pretty good, Jesus doesn't seem that great. Um, but we want to kind of unpack why we think the world is actually not that good and why we're not that great and why Jesus is a great savior. Mm -hmm. So, um, regardless of whatever else you may believe, I think it, it'll be fairly easy to convince you that something's wrong with the world that we live in. Um, we live in a world marked by significant pain, and there's a lot of perspectives that you could take on the world and arrive at this conclusion. So if you look at history, um, you see... There's, there's so many horrific things that have happened in the history of our world. You can look at um, maybe the most grievous event in all of history, the, the Holocaust, where six million innocent lives were taken by the Nazi regime in, in Germany and, and in Europe. Um, six million people innocently uh, killed. And, and similarly, in the Armenian Genocide, 1.5 million individuals killed. If you just like take a few moments to just think about that number, that mass of people um, killed for no, for no reason. Um, it just it just sort of sets in that this world is not the way that it should be. Um, families torn apart, lives brutally and cruelly ended far too soon. Um, that's what we see when we look into the history of our world. Um, and even just looking at uh, our own country, looking at our, our past of slavery and the fact that we've, um, for years and years in this country, humans were degraded and, and viewed as property and put into slavery to to perform deeds for other people. And it's just this yucky, icky, gross um, history is what we, we come from. But even if you look at the world today, things aren't, you know, all gumdrops and rainbows. There's still pain and brokenness in our world today. Um, about 10%, so one out of 10 people living on this planet live on less than $1.90 a day. So that, that's, that's kind of where world poverty is at right now and that's um really just so tragic to think about like we live in america and we have ample resources but so many people for so many people in the world that's not true uh, about 815 million people 
are undernourished in the world. That's more than the figure I just mentioned of, of people living in extreme poverty. Um, so there's just widespread pro- poverty running throughout our world. There's um, human trafficking. About 20 million people in the world today are in modern-day slavery. Over half of these people are trafficked as sex slaves um, against their will being abused and raped by, by people for profit. That's, that's their life. and It's just tragic to think about. And um, I want to move past this point because it's, even just saying it, it's just, it makes me uncomfortable because... Um, because our world is deeply flawed. Um, so, even in our country today, if you look at the headlines, what you see, what you've seen blow blow up is all these Hollywood producers taking advantage of women, sexually abusing them, using their position authority instead of to help people and, and cultivate their career, using it to um, degrade and manipulate them. Uh, we have um, accounts of police brutality all over our, our nation a similar thing where people in a position of authority are abusing that to harm others and there's just neighborhoods and places and even in our own country even today that are unsafe and that um, we don't like to go that, that where people where there's violence and crime and um, drugs and just things that we, we want no part of and that's just the world we live in that's just life as it is um, and these are signs that our world just isn't right. There's something deeply and fundamentally flawed with the world that we live in. It doesn't function as it should, um, and and that's 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 what it means for our world to not be great. That's a that's a huge part of the human experience. Um, and Anne's going to share a little bit about how not only is our world not great, but as citizens of that world, we aren't great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we. I mean, we look at the world, and I think that this is, like, part of even what it means to become an adult. I just remember several moments in my life, these realizations, like, everything is painful. <laughs> like, there's really, really hard things, and um, just this, I mean, just waves as you get older of this world is really broken, and something's wrong. Um and we would believe that most problems in the world can be traced back to individuals. So it's easy to say, like, okay, the world collectively is broken. Um, but a world full of people looking out for themselves produces a collective effect of widespread, widespread brokenness. So, again, it's easy to say, big picture, the world is broken. Um, but we really believe that that is traced down to individually. Um, there's something wrong with us. Primarily, there's something primarily wrong with the world um, because there's something wrong with us. Um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, you know, we think about things like the Holocaust and it can feel like a really big jump to be like, there's something wrong with the world, like Hitler, (laughs) um, but then there's something wrong with us. It sort of feels like almost like a weird jump to make. But if you think about Hitler, it's like Hitler was an individual and a few individuals started this chaotic and, um, horrific event. And I think when I look at my own life, I think okay, that scale might not be the same, but I can definitely see how I have the standard in my head of how I want to act, how I want to treat people. And if I'm honest, I don't live, um, I don't live the way that I should. I don't live up um, to my own standard, and I don't live my life oriented towards the needs of other people. Um, and if you just think of the size of our world, if every individual to a different degree is living um, oriented around meeting their own needs and meeting their own desires. If there's something crooked or wrong with us, um, 
the ripple effects of that are huge and again to varying degrees but but we would say we think that the world is broken because individuals are broken um and it's not just the bad things that we do because i think we could all come up with a list of i did this and i did this but i think the thing if i'm honest with myself that haunts me a little bit more than the bad things that i've done is the good things that i know i should have done <laughs> that i haven't um and um and again if you multiply that by all of the people in the world we live in a humanity that um doesn't live out of the kindness and goodness that we that we should and um aren't able to carry it out in the way that we hope um i mean just an example uh normal and i are preparing for this talk and i mean the talk is called <laughs> what's so great about jesus it's a talk about jesus christ um and as people that have given our lives to wanting to tell people about jesus um you'd think that coming together to write this talk would be a really um bonding experience um a really enriching experience a really loving experience but we actually fought a lot writing this talk and it was just funny to be really frustrated with each other um really arguing over how we wanted to say it what we wanted to say who was going to say what um and then to it it was just kind of ironic to be preparing it and being like well I'm really mad right now and then I'm writing like there's something wrong with all of us. I'm like, "Yep. <laughs> that's that's true. There's something wrong with all of us." And um it's kind of funny, but it's actually pretty horrifying if I think about it long enough that like we can't even come together to write about the truth of who God is without um hating each other for multiple Moments. minutes. Yeah. Um so I think that um as we were preparing this, I feel like both of us were like, "Yes, this is this is true. There's there's something wrong with us." Um Another example I thought of was just, I mean, we've come off of Christmas, we've come off of the holidays. And you know, you see movies and you read books and you see um TV shows that sort of paint Christmas as this beautiful time where your family comes together and you know, you you sing Christmas carols and there's a meal and it's all peace on earth and love and joy and harmony. And um again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, and there's probably a spectrum but christmas probably didn't meet the expectations that you had at least it didn't for me and um it's so crazy that you know we come together in a time that's supposed to be about celebrating the birth of jesus and celebrating family and warmth and connection and what ends up happening is we we bump into each other and we have conflict and you know you co- we all come from families that have varying degrees of brokenness you've been abused by people in your family or your your parents aren't together anymore or your parents are in constant conflict or you've had um things that you know it's this picture that we're supposed to come together in joy but it actually feels more like we're bumping into each other or that we've been ripped apart um and there's a sort of ache that our family is never quite what we'd hoped and and we would say and we think the bible says that that's because the world is broken um and we feel the the huge gap between what we think family should feel like and what it what it should feel like to be home for the holidays and yet there's this aching gap of it's painful and we're and we're broken and we think that that's a picture of the brokenness in us mhm so um the brokenness much of the brokenness and pain that we experience in um in our world comes from what's wrong within us what's actually inside of us um and what's wrong with us is something that the bible calls sin so you you've probably heard the word sin thrown around a few times over the course of this um conference in um the different talks that we've had so we're going to explain that idea a little bit so it's a little bit clearer the first time i came to a conference like this um 
I was like, man, these people are really hard on themselves. <laughs> they say sin like every three words. Um, and I, I didn't. I don't think I had a full understanding of what sin actually mm-hmm. was. But yeah. I was like, man, these people are really down <laughs> on themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So to explain the idea of sin, I'm actually going to borrow an idea um, from Saint Augustine. So this is this is actually a, a father of the church. He um, lived in the third century uh, after Christ. Um, Christ's life and, and death and resurrection, and uh, he, had, he had some ideas about how to explain sin that I think were really helpful. Um, so the phrase that he used is incurvatus in se. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, it's Latin. It's a dead so language. Do so. Latin? <laughs> um, Lauren, how do you say it? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so that makes, that makes two of us. Yeah. Um, or, you know, however many, 12 of us. Uh, but, uh, so what this phrase means is curved in on self. Curved in on self. So I want everyone to hold one finger out like this. Okay, so what sin is is curved in on self. So do this with your finger. So this is kind of a visual representation for what sin is doing to us. So um, rather than being straight and pointing to God and others with our lives so that our goals and our actions and our desires all center around other people and and God rather than our lives pointing at the people around us, um, we've become curved in on ourselves. Um, So rather than being straight, pointing towards God, we've become curved in on ourselves so that our goals and desires and actions all center around us. So we're kind of curved in on ourselves, looking at ourselves, everything is about me and my needs and my desires, and, and that's kind of a little bit of a picture of what sin is, and, and when the Bible talks about sin, what it means is that we've sort of, we should, we should be like this, um, straight and pointing towards others, but instead we're primarily concerned with our own needs. Um, and this is, not, uh, this is not how God wanted it to be. This is not what we were created to be. We were created to love one another and love God perfectly. And this was the case at the beginning of creation when God made the world. Um, we had perfect relationships with one another, perfect relationships with God. But what happened is that God, God also created man with free will. And because of that, man chose to sin, chose to curve in on themselves, chose to focus on their own needs rather than the needs of one another. Um, And this produced uh, mass corruption and evil and the decay that we see in the world all stemmed from, um, you know, the the way we're meant to be being corrupted so that we're we're curved in on ourselves. Um, So that's a little bit about... um, whether you look at the macro level, what's wrong with the world, or what's wrong with us individually, that's just a little bit of, of the backdrop into which Christ enters. That's like the world without Jesus, in a sense. So we're going to explain, um, given that, why is Jesus great? Yep. So, so again, meant to live like this, pointing to God, enjoying God, um, caring about the needs of other people. Um, and we, I mean, we could go through a whole... Um, sort of outline of the way that the Bible works, how God created us this way in the fall and all of that. But basically, God meant us to live this way. We've, because of sin, curved in on ourselves. Um, I'd encourage you to go read the story of Adam and Eve. It's really interesting. Um, And that is where this became this. Mm -hmm. And the whole um, over first half of the Bible is sort of an explanation of... um, 
the outworkings, the the chaos, like Nirmal said, the decay of humanity, because instead of operating this way, we've operated this way. And so whispers throughout the Bible, God is promising, I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. You've, you've messed it up. You're curved in on yourself, but I'm going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to come save you. And that's whispered and hinted throughout the Bible. And Muchi talked about this this morning, but there's, there's prophecies about someone's going to come fix it. Um, there's, um, there's all sorts of waiting and longing for when is this brokenness and decay that we're living in going to be fixed? When is the broken world and the brokenness inside of us going to be fixed? And then there's 400 years of silence. And in the middle of a night, um, potentially in the dead of winter, in a barn, Jesus is born. And um, angels appear announcing the birth of Jesus. And You might be familiar with this from um, the Charlie Brown Christmas, if you watched that growing up, or you might be familiar with it from uh, church. Um, But what the angels say is they show up on the scene. Again, years of this, years of living like this when we should have lived like this, and the angels come and this is what they say, and you think that what they say would be, God is very mad at you. He's going to punish you for living this way. And the interesting thing is this is what they say. They say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for everyone. For to you is born a savior. So years of corruption, years of living curbed in ourselves. God sends his son Jesus to take on the form of a baby and to be born. And the way that the angels announce it is they say, don't be afraid. I've got good news for you. A savior is coming, which is just um, surprising. So Jesus, Jesus shows up to a world that isn't great, to people who aren't great, and says basically, don't be afraid, I'm here to save you. So you think that he'd come, again, like we said earlier, that he'd come and you'd feel bad, <laughs> or he'd come and, and you would be afraid, or you should be afraid, um, but he comes and says, don't worry, I'm here to save you. So we're going to explain the good news, what that good news means. They say, I have good news of great joy. So we want to unpack what that means and why that flips all the reasons we listed earlier for being hesitant about Jesus, why that flips all of them on their head. So we want to unpack that. Um, so the first thing that's uh, really important to understand, uh, to understand why Jesus is great um, Given, given everything that Anne shared and um, to understand the story of Jesus is that we need to understand that God's standard is moral greatness. So um, just as we talked about how the, the effect of all of our individual sin and, and um, selfishness produces widespread brokenness, um, similarly, the synergistic effect of our individual moral greatness would be human flourishing. Like everything uh, would... Uh, if, if we took care of each other perfectly, um, this world wouldn't be flawed the way that it is. Um, and that's that's why God wanted us to live that way. He wanted it for our own good, and he had a good design in mind. Um, and because of that, he has real anger and disappointment towards us for the ways that we failed, the ways that we failed him and the ways that we failed one another um, and failed to take care of each other as he's, um, as he's asked us to. But the really, really, absolutely incredible news is that even though deep down we're all morally compromised, morally broken, morally flawed, and even though we deserve to be separated from God forever, um, and this this is a concept the Bible calls hell, um, the idea that we would go to a place of punishment after our, our death um, 
forever because of our um, brokenness, our moral failure. He had a different plan. And, and that different plan is the, at the heart and the center of Christianity. Um, so Anne's going to get a little bit into what that looks like. Yep. So, so Jesus shows up on the scene, um, fully God and fully man. Lauren told me once, she said, I went to Catholic school, and that was so drilled into my head that I, would say, I could say it in my sleep, fully God and fully man. <laughs> um, but that's true. So Jesus shows up on the scene, a human baby, um, and fully God. And the incredible thing about his life is that although every human being before him lived like this, Jesus shows up on the scene and lives like this, perfect, without sin. So everything that he does, he talks constantly about, I'm, I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here to do the will of God. So everything about his life is pointing to his Father. He is incredibly um, others-focused. He never sinned. So he was the opposite of curved in on himself. His whole life was focused Godward and towards the needs of the people around him. Um, he always treated people well. He went out of his way to help those in need. Um, he steps into a world where women are marginalized and viewed as property, and he steps in and treats them with dignity. He is incredibly pro-woman in the way that he steps um, into the relational lives of women and gives them dignity. Um, he's anti-oppression. He spoke out against the judgmental religious hypocrites, and he spoke tenderly to the social outcasts. So he, he steps onto the scene as this, this hero. He's, he does nothing wrong, and he's sort of everything that you want in a hero. He sort of puts the religious hypocrites in their place and lifts up those that are social outcasts and sinners, um, rich and poor, male and female, people of the same ethnicity that he was and people of different ethnicities all found a friend in Jesus um, because of how loving um, and perfect he was. And the, and the incredible thing is, um, again, we believe that this really happened and um, there's accounts of his family members following him, saying we're, we're Christ followers, we're Christians, we're following Jesus. And what that means is that they grew up with him. They lived their life beside him. And when he claimed, I'm God, that would mean that they would have to say, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> like, I lived with you your whole life. I was your brother or your sister or your mother. And you claiming to be God makes sense. I'm going to follow you. And I just know with my own family and my own siblings that if anyone claimed to be God, I would say I have a million reasons why that's not true. I have evidence. Um, but, but his family would agree. They would say he lived in such a perfect way that we have no other thing to believe but that he was the son of God. So Jesus came and lived the perfect life, the only one that didn't live like this but lived like this. And what's most interesting about Jesus' life is that even though he lived everything perfectly, um, li lived a perfect life, he chose to die, and he was, he was punished for our lack of greatness. So Jesus was the only one to meet the God's perfect standard, and then he was punished for our lack of greatness. Um, Jesus was God in human form, as we've already said. He's, he was morally flawless, morally great, and he didn't deserve to die. Um, in God's eyes, death is punishment for the morally flawed um, and because of that, Jesus didn't have death coming his way. It wasn't something that um, was bound to happen to him in, in any sense. But he died on a cross. And what that means is that he, I mean, the, Ro the Roman cross was essentially a torture device. It was the death penalty. It was a death reserved for criminals. Um, so even though he was the, uh, didn't deserve it, um, 
he was the only person to not deserve death at all of any kind, and yet he died the death of a criminal on our behalf. Um, and that's just the most surprising thing because he he lived a life that earned the exact opposite. Um, so because Jesus the Great, uh, so th- think like this, like think Jesus perfect, great, he took the place of us, the crooked, so he descended to us and died in our place. And because of that, we can now receive the full benefits that should be reserved for the great. So even though we're crooked and broken, we have full access to, to everything that um, everything that, that God offers. And the main benefit of that is a restored relationship with God. Only the great can be with God. So God came down in the form of his son, took the place of the ordinary, took the place of us, so that we, the ordinary, could take the place um, of the great and be with God forever. And that's that's the part of the Christian message, and that's um, that's what's so great about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, if you were to ask a Christian, like, what is the basis of what you believe? Um, what's, the, what's kind of the heart of what you believe? Hopefully what a Christian would say is, we believe that Jesus came as a human to trade places with me. So he came and lived the perfect life that I should have lived, um, but then also died the death I should have died. He lived the perfect life I should have lived, and then he took the punishment for living the rotten life that I've lived. So, again, not to overuse our, our visual, but Jesus comes down and is treated like this, um, and we get treated like this, which is incredible news. And the, the beautiful thing, there's all kinds of um, sort of poetic language in the Bible that talks about what happens when you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus. Um, he talks about um, God replacing a heart of stone um, and giving you a heart of flesh. Basically, you're born again. You're made alive. And so what it means for someone to see, Jesus took my place, it, it transforms you. It gives you a new heart. Or another way to word it would be that you're blind and you're, you're able to see. So you go from blind to seeing. That's the song Amazing Grace. I, you've probably all heard it. <laughs> um, but the, the line in there is, I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so the way that the Bible talks about this new birth, this miracle that happens to you when you believe that Jesus traded places with you is that all of a sudden your eyes see. He came He came to take my place. And the incredible news is that not only did he come to take our place, the story could be over there, um, but he comes to not just um, forgive us, but to restore us. And what happens when you're given a new heart is all of a sudden you see what Jesus did and you see the love of the father that would send his son to take your place and all of a sudden your heart starts bending back towards God the way that you were meant to live because you see that he's beautiful and you see that he he loved you and he came to rescue you and so um, not only are you promised forgiveness but your your heart is restored you're you start to unbend and you start to love others the way that you should love them and and to to see God as beautiful. And so the rescue mission of Jesus isn't just a rescue mission to forgive us, but it's a rescue mission to restore us and to start to um, uncurve us, to curve us back towards him, um, which is beautiful news. He comes to to rescue his people. Mm -hmm. So living the perfect life and never sinning his whole life would have been great enough, but um, the fact that he went beyond that and laid down his life for us as a sacrifice so that he could forgive us. And then on top of that, to 
that he would restore us and change who we are so that we could see more of him. That's what makes him really, really great. That's, that's what's so great about Jesus. Um, so, uh, in light of that, in light of this, this story of Jesus that kind of re, um, that, that hopefully changes the way that you think about, um, Jesus as great, I wanted to revisit some of the reasons we listed earlier for why someone might not think Jesus is great. So, the things that we said are, you know, he might be, you might view Christianity or Jesus as irrelevant, um, you might have experienced Christians who are judgmental, uh, you could view Christianity as a confining religion, and or just uh, a religion that's w- one among many ways to be a good person. So we're going to um, address those one by one. So Jesus is not irrelevant. Um, he has massive implications for your everyday life. He wants to reconnect with you. Like, I'm looking at you guys individually, because this isn't just a, a concept that happened 2,000 years ago. It's, it's a living God who wants to connect with you. So it's a very relevant thing to your life. Um, he's not far off. He actually came to earth to get you and wants to connect with you now. So it's very relevant to your life. And when you know him, the, the joy of a follower of Jesus is to spend the rest of your life knowing him more, learning more about who he is and understanding his character and cultivating a relationship with him. And that's just a process that's um, hugely relevant if you would ask any, any Christian who's following Jesus. Um, we would also say that um, we don't think that truly understanding what Jesus has done will make you a judgmental person. Um, I think that um, in my own life, and in the lives of others that I've seen, living out of judgment, which I definitely have, but to live out of judgment is to forget um, the core message of what Jesus has done for you because the central story of the good news of Jesus is grace. So it's being given something that you don't deserve. You're not being a great person that God rewards. You're a pretty okay slash rotten person that God has forgiven and loved. And so to then hold up a standard to other people and to say, what, what the heck are you doing? To live in judgment towards other people is completely missing the point that you've been given grace. And so I would argue that myself and any other Christian that would live out of judgment has forgotten that they've received grace from God and may not understand it at all. Um, but to truly understand the message of Jesus should make you a forgiving and grace-filled person because that's what you've received from God. Um, furthermore, we, we don't believe that Jesus will um, confine you and make you unhappy. Uh, uh, he, Jesus wants to unleash you on the world with complete joy. Um, the Any restrictions that are in the Bible, as Muche uh, talked about, I feel like he made this point for us in a lot of ways, they're given to keep you from pain and to help you love other people better. Those are the, those, that's the purpose for any, um, commandments or things outlined in the Bible, um, to affect your behavior. They're given to keep you from pain and help you to love other people. Um, and the, the best part is, is that even when you do fail and you inevitably will, all of us will, um, there's not the entire weight of your whole life riding on your success or failure. It's not as though, um, you know, you become a Christian, then from there on out, you have to live perfectly. Um, you, when you sin, you're forgiven. It's not like this huge, big deal that like all of a sudden you're in the doghouse and God hates you. It's like he forgives you and you can just move on and you can live your life free of guilt. It's, it's, it's not a confining thing. It's the exact opposite. Yep. Um, and we don't believe that Jesus came with advice or a list of rules to be a good person. Um, 
So when people say something like, you know, Christianity is just a great, like, it's a really moral thing, I'm, I'm totally cool with Jesus, I think he, along with many other people, has a really good guideline for life. And what I would tell someone like that is I actually don't think you understand, again, the core message of of what Christianity is, what Jesus came to do, because he actually comes with bad and good news. He basically says you can never be a moral person. You're naturally bent in on yourself. You're broken. But um, I came with good news that although you are broken and a morally corrupt person, um, I've come to restore you. I've come to forgive you. And so um, I don't. we don't believe that Christianity is primarily a list of ways to be a moral person. It's actually good news for um, the people that have failed morally. Um, so that's what that's what's so great about Jesus. The biggest problems in the world stem from our individual se- severance of our connection with God. And the good news of Jesus' life is that he came to take our punishment so that we could reconnect with God. Um, so that might leave you thinking, so now what? Yeah. Um, so that that is the good news of Jesus. That's when the angels said they came to bring good news. That is what it is. Um, but you might be asking, you know, now what? Like, great talk. Sure, I can believe all those things, but what, what would I do next? What does it mean? If I'm investigating Jesus and want to become a follower of Jesus, what next? Um, so what if this sounds good to me? How do I follow him? Um, and I just want to unpack one sentence that Jesus said um, that I think sums up what is next. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, um, or near, that could mean it's close, it's coming to you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So I just want to unpack some of those words, um, and then we'll be done. So um, I think a lot of people misunderstand what the word repentance means. Um, I think a lot of people think about repentance as um, try really hard. I know that's distracting. Sorry. We'll go over here. (laughs) Good. Um, So, yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand the idea of repentance. Um, And you probably, well, maybe you haven't, but I've heard it shouted on street corners by really, like, angry preachers, you know, repent. Um, And it's kind of one of those words that kind of makes you feel a little sick at your stomach. Um, And I think because we've, over time, it's sort of morphed into meaning try really hard to be good. Like, you are an evil, wicked sinner, repent. And... Actually, what the word means, um, it's kind of interesting. In the original language, repent means to change your mind or to turn. So it's like, oh, that's not exactly what I thought. I thought it would mean, you know, try really hard. Um, But again, if we live our lives bent, um, I don't know if many of us would say we live acknowledging that very often. I try to live most of my life convincing people that I live like this. Um, I do whatever it takes to present myself in a way that would be without flaws, that would be a morally um, commendable person. And what repentance is, to change your mind or to turn, means although you've spent your whole life either trying to straighten out yourself or trying to convince people that even though you're broken, you're not, repentance would be acknowledging that that's true. It's saying, I've changed my mind. (laughs) I'm trying to convince people that I... Um, am a morally, I've tried to convince people that I'm a morally good person, but I'm morally flawed. And repentance would be turning um, and acknowledging that you need God's help, that although you're broken, um, you you can't do anything about it and and that you need God's help. It doesn't mean clean up your act. It doesn't mean stop sinning. It just means to turn to Jesus. Um, So 
The kingdom of God is near, is coming to you. Repent or turn and believe. So believing would just be acknowledging that you need help and that Jesus is the help that you need. So he really did die. He really is God. He really rose again for you. He really does love you and sent Jesus to take your punishment. Um, That would be belief. It would be acknowledging that all those things are true. So the kingdom of God is near. Turn and believe in the gospel. Um, The word gospel, you've probably heard it a lot. It said about as much as sin. (laughs) Um, And I for a while just thought gospel was like gospel music I didn't understand like I didn't understand like what does this gospel mean um but if you look at the original language what it means is good news so the kingdom of God is is coming to you turn and believe the good news that's what Jesus is saying and um this is exactly in line with what the angel said when Jesus showed up so the angel said um we have good news of great joy a savior has been born and Jesus is saying I'm here I am the savior I want you to turn to me and believe the good news that I've come to save you and that's um that's what it means to put your trust in Jesus is to say I'm turning I'm turning towards Jesus I'm broken and I'm accepting the fact um that he saved me there's a verse in the bible that says um today is the day of salvation and um as we were preparing this talk Um, we were praying, we were like, you know, this is, we believe that this is true, and so we want you to know that this is true for you. This is a gift that God has given you, and it's yours for the taking. So um, believing that Jesus has done this and holding on to it for yourself is something that's available to anyone. Awesome. So, yeah, we would love to talk with any of you more about this, come up and introduce yourself after, anything like that. Um, And we just think this should be a continuing conversation. If you, uh, I'm sure you guys still might have questions or things that, that you don't fully understand, but just continue to dialogue amongst yourselves with the, the people that you're close with and feel comfortable with. Um, and keep looking into this because we believe Jesus is real and we really think he might be after some of you. So, um, yeah, that that is all. You guys got about 10 minutes to get to your next um, seminar. And, uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.